When in the autumn of 2002, I first contacted Spectre, he had not given a major interview in some 25 years, and to arrange a meeting involved delicate and protracted negotiations. Letters were dispatched back and forth. Michelle Blaine, Spectre's personal assistant, and the daughter of Hal Blaine, the drummer who had played on all of Spectre's greatest hits through the 60s, happened to be passing through London, and we met for tea at a Mayfair hotel. She was fiercely protective of her employer. What exactly would be the thrust of the interview? Was I familiar with Mr. Spector's records? How familiar? What had I read about Mr. Spector? I would be aware that there had been a great deal of misreporting about Mr. Spector's life and affairs. Gossip, scandal, talk of guns, of craziness, all of it exaggeration, myth, and lies. Mr. Spector would not countenance any interview that proceeded along those lines. A week later I was informed that Spector had agreed to talk. My elation was immediately tempered by a deep foreboding that the interview would almost certainly never happen. It was almost to be expected, then, that I should be told on my arrival in Los Angeles that our meeting had been postponed. I sat in my room, awaiting the call that I was now convinced would never come and then the telephone rang. A car, I was informed, would be collecting me from my hotel at noon. At the appointed hour, a white 1965 Rolls-Royce Silver Cloud, license plate Phil 500, drew up outside the hotel. A uniformed chauffeur held open the door. Encased in leather and walnut and hidden behind black curtains, a car that could tell stories, we turned onto the Hollywood Freeway keeling slightly like some stately ocean liner, and headed east. After some thirty minutes we turned off the freeway, following the signs for Alhambra, a nondescript, working-class neighborhood of strip malls and scrubby bungalows. The road wound upwards, and further upwards still, ending at last at a set of high, wrought iron gates posted with keep-out signs. The chauffeur stepped out to open them, drove through, and pulled to a halt, at the bottom of a flight of stone steps, the gates closing behind us. Mr. Specter, he said, likes people to walk up. The steps led up through an avenue of lowering pines, the castle visible through the trees. It was up these same steps that just a few weeks later, in the early hours of Monday, February 3, 2003, Specter would stagger with Lana Clarkson, a sometime actress and model, whom Spectre had met just two hours earlier in a Hollywood nightclub. According to the testimony given to the police by Spectre's chauffeur, Adriano de Souza, the same chauffeur who had driven me from my hotel, Spectre was apparently inebriated, and Lana Clarkson was, like, grabbing his arm and shoulder and helping him up the stairs. Now, as I climbed, I had the distinct sense that I was being watched, although I might have been imagining this. Michelle Blaine was waiting for me at the top. She led me through the front door into a cavernous hallway, wood-paneled and red-carpeted. Later, I would try to bring the details of this hall to mind to match it with the account of the affidavit filed by Detective Mark Lillianfield of the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department, reporting the scene that he and other officers had found there in the early hours of February 3rd. Your affiant saw the victim slumped in a chair in the foyer of the home. She was wearing a black nylon slip dress, black nylons, and black shoes. A leopard print purse with a black strap was slung over her right shoulder, 
with the purse hanging down on her right side by her right arm. She had what appeared to be a single-entry gunshot wound to the mouth. Broken teeth from the victim were scattered about the foyer and an adjacent stairway. Lying under the victim's left leg was a Colt two-inch blue steel thirty-eight caliber six-shot revolver. This weapon had five live cartridges in the cylinder and under the hammer a spent cartridge. I struggle to remember now exactly where in the hall that chair was placed. The affidavit makes no mention of the two suits of armor that I vividly recall standing sentinel, stage props for a fantasy of baronial splendor. Spectre was nowhere to be seen. Michelle Blaine led me on a tour of the ground-floor rooms. In the music room there was hi-fi equipment and a guitar that had once belonged to John Lennon resting on a stand like a museum exhibit.